morning. This morning, we're going to do some grammar. I said this morning, my brothers and sisters, we're going to do some grammar. Yeah. So if you look on the cover of your bulletin, you will find a screen cap from an outstanding movie. Anybody recognize it? Which is? It is not the third Indiana Jones movie. That was not an outstanding movie. That was just kind of mediocre. What? Ah, yes. Mighty Python's Life of Brian. Anybody remember the premise of the movie? Yes. Uh, kind of, yeah. yeah. Brian of Nazareth. Uh, the, the main character of the movie is Brian of Nazareth, uh, who gets involved with the, uh, was it, did he get involved with the Judean People's Friend or the People's Friend of Judea? Anybody remember? Uh, but basically he gets in with this band of proto-Marxist revolutionaries and, uh, one night, uh, as, as, uh, an act of, of, uh, political theater, he goes to draw on the walls in Rome, Rome, in Jerusalem, Romans go home. And, uh, the way the scene goes, he's there and he's drawing it and, uh, and John Cleese is playing the centurion and he comes and he catches him as he draws it and he says, what's this? And, and, you know, of course, it says Romans go home. It does not say Romans go home. He's got the grammar completely wrong. He's like, some Romans, they are going in a house? No, and then he basically makes him fix his grammar right there on the wall. Uh, and then he says, now, do it a hundred times. And then he makes a threat, which means I can't show you the clip. Um, and then the funny part is he does, he spends all night drawing this Romans go home a hundred times. That's the picture. And then he sits back to admire it. And then some more Roman soldiers come up and, you know, he's sort of nodding at them like I did. And then he realizes they don't know that the centurion told him to do it. So he runs away. Uh, so because I can't show you that clip in order to get us in a grammar mood, uh, we will go from the ridiculous to the sublime and I will show you this one. It's even better with the audio. She's singing, always look on the bright side of life. I think you've turned my mic up.
and that's it's okay, and that's sung by the alto, and then right after that is "Come unto Him, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and He shall give you rest," and that's sung by the soprano. And occasionally you will find uh, some uh, singer really showing off and singing both. She will sing both the because basically the soprano part is an octave higher than the alto part. It's the same melody, just an octave higher. So some people really like to show off and do that. Ordinarily, you see them with separate singers. But in the in that second part of the aria, when the soprano sings, it's come unto him, all, all ye that labor, uh, uh, come, in, come unto him that are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Now, the next line is the fun part. Uh, Take his yoke upon him and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and he sh- and, and you shall find uh, peace, uh, rest unto your soul. Now, anybody remember what version of the Bible Handel would have been used, using to write the lyrics for, uh, for, the, uh, for Messiah? King James. King James. Good. So the answer is not always Jesus. So in the King James, you have, in, and this is the end of chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn. What is, somebody break out a Bible that you have right there. The, the very last verse of Matthew, Jesus says, Learn something me. Learn from me. What what version do you have there? New Revised. Okay, somebody have another one? End of Matthew 29. Anybody have like an NIV? Are you not bringing your Bibles to church? Verse 29. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Okay, good. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's new. That's new American Standard. All right. Anybody have NIV? I think that's NIV there, right, Bill? And learn from me. Right. So here's the interesting thing in the King James and also in the American Standard Version, which is kind of the first stab at really revising the King James. It was done a, a little over a hundred years ago. It didn't really take, but. In the, in the uh, King James, it's take, his yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now they updated that in the New King James, but in the King James, it's take my yoke upon you and learn of me, right? Which always kind of makes me laugh when I hear it, right? Because, you know, when you think about it, there, you know, all sorts of people who know a lot of stuff about God, but they're complete jackasses, if you excuse me. Um, like there, there are a lot of people who have learned a lot of Jesus, but you don't get the sense they've learned from him, right? Uh, and, and what we have going on in that verse is this marvelously rich case in Greek called the genitive case. These letters on the end tell us that this is a genitive case. Usually, you're going to translate this of whatever, right? And uh, I think my grammar has something like 42 different uses, uh, potential uses of the genitive. Um, but the verse we're dealing, one of the verses we're dealing with this morning has a vitally important use of the genitive that makes a whole lot of difference in terms of how you understand the book of Romans, really in terms of how you understand the gospel. And what you're going to find as you start mucking around in here, is you're going to find some interpretive roads diverging. 
you're going to find, depending on how you understand this, is going to determine, in a lot of ways, how you understand what Paul is trying to say. So here, is Jesus saying, learn of me? Or is he saying, learn from me? Well, here, we know from context, right? He's saying, learn from me. Anybody want to disagree? Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go memorize a bunch of facts about me. No, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. These ways of understanding this get really important when we get to the stuff we're looking at today. So, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Paul, if you remember, he started out in, uh, in the first seven verses, giving the introduction to his letter, laying out the big themes he was going to be talking about. And then, in 8 to 15, which we talked about last week, what was Paul doing? Anybody remember? Okay, you're all asleep. What? Yeah, he's making travel plans. He's, he's communicating to this church in Rome that he really would like to see them honest. He just hasn't been able to, but he really wants, he, we're really, we're going to get it on the calendar. Seriously, we're going to make this happen. I really want to come there. And in part, he wants to go, as we read later, because he wants to go on to Spain. So he really just wants to use them. Um, but, but no, I really want to see you people. Uh, I've heard all about you. I pray for you all the time. God knows. And now I really want to come and I want to, I want to preach the gospel to you. I've had a chance to preach to so many other churches. I want to preach it to you. And I want there to be this, you know, mutual spiritual benefit. I want to offer something to you. I want to get what you have to offer to me. And I really want to preach the gospel. This is what, as we looked at the beginning, this is what gets Paul up in the morning, right? What got Paul up in the morning was this gospel, his charge to preach the gospel. And he says, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Why would somebody say that? Probably because there are some people who are. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of a, a, an icky thing, right, that you need some Jewish guy to die so that you can be saved from sin. Uh, he says, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of the gospel at all. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then also for the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel... And here's our verse. Here's our phrase. In it, dikaiosune theu. In it, dikaiosune theu is revealed. Dikaiosune theu is translated in your NIV as what's being revealed, Bill? In verse chapter one, verse seventeen of Romans, what, what, a righteousness, the righteousness, uh, no seventeen before that, beginning of seventeen. What's being revealed in it? A righteousness from God is the righteousness, the righteousness of God is being revealed. What, what verse is that? Okay, okay, one at a time. Uh, 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 Mark, shut up while Kendall talks, as usual. Kendall, what? A righteousness from God. This is the NIV. A righteousness. The New Revised Standard. The righteousness of God. 
in italics? Okay, New American Standard. New American Standard. The righteousness, you said of God or from God? The righteousness of God. Anybody have anything else other than NIV, NRS, New American Standard? New English. What does the net have? The righteousness of God. It has a huge what? Yeah. It's almost like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> see, ESV is the righteousness of God. Okay. Yeah, King James is. Does somebody have the King James? The righteousness of God. That's King James. NRV is a little different, isn't it? That's the new NIV? Yeah. And the new NIV? How, how does the new NIV read? Kristen? The righteousness of God? The righteousness of God. That's good. Okay. But, and what's that? <laughs> well, maybe and maybe not. So let me, I want to talk about this morning why this might be important. And I also want to mention why it might not be important. Do we finally have the music? Okay, after the service, we'll listen to the nice, pretty music. Um, see, theu, right, right, that u means this is a genitive, right? Which means that the way you would put this is, what's that? Of something or from something. Right? The first is the genitival use. The second, if you've ever done any Latin or Greek, is the ablatival. Uh, but there is nothing there in the text as we have it that tells you how you are supposed to understand it. It's one of the beautiful things about the language. It's also one of the very frustrating things. Is it, it, it gives you some clues, but it doesn't give you everything. You have to interpret some things from context. And here is a place where the choices you make matter a great deal. Now, I am going, the next part of the sermon, I'll just tell you, I'm ripping off directly from N.T. Wright. Uh, this Tom Wright, leading New Testament scholar, wrote a book in 97 called What St. Paul Really Said. I don't think that's really what he meant to have as the title, but some uh, enterprising publisher decided that if you gave it a really obnoxious title like that, then you could sell a lot of books. But in that, he breaks down some options here with the uh, the phrase dikaiosune theu the righteousness from god righteousness of god and let's shall we take a look at the different ways we could look at this so one way we could look at this is to say okay what paul's talking about here when he talks about the dikaiosune theu the righteousness of god is he's talking about God's righteousness, right? This is the righteousness that would have to do 
the righteousness that is God's. Okay? There is. We'll get there. Yeah. So, the or a righteousness that is God's. Another way we could look at this is to say, well, maybe it's a righteousness that has something to do with God. Righteousness that's related to God. All right, tracking me so far? Good, because it gets more complicated. So it could be God's own righteousness, or this could be a righteousness that something somehow has something to do with God. So, for example, it might be righteousness that avails before God. Righteousness maybe that somebody presents to God, right? This would be uh, an objective genitive. Uh, this might be a righteousness that somebody presents to God. Maybe it's a righteousness that somebody kind of naturally has, that God will look at that righteousness and say, hey, that's exactly what I was looking for. Abraham, you've got that righteousness that I want, and I love it. Or it might be a righteousness that God provides so that people can have it. But the point is, and what Paul's focusing on here in this reading is that this is the kind of righteousness that God provides so that it can then come before him. Right? Right, right. That's that understanding of the, of the, the, the uh, genitive there. Uh, another way we could look at this is that this is a righteousness from God. That is a genitive of origin or source. This is a, a righteousness that is generated by God. Okay? So maybe what Paul is talking about here, and this would be the, the way the NIV translates it, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Right? And, and uh, depending on how uh, argumentative you feel, you can look at this as imputed Righteousness or imparted righteousness. So is it imputed righteousness? It's not, you're not really righteous, but there's this righteous, righteousness that's kind of credited to you. Like, it's like you have a Jesus mask on and then when God sees that, then he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus and it's all good. Or is, is it imparted righteousness and that Jesus' own righteousness is being developed in you? Uh, it, this right here, massive argument between the, uh, the, uh, a sort of more Reformed and the more uh, Wesleyan traditions of Protestantism in terms of whether righteousness is imputed or imparted. We haven't found yet? Yeah, okay. So, if we look at righteousness as something that is related to God, here it's a righteousness that is coming to God, here it's a righteousness that's coming from God, but either way, the point is that this is something that either is presented to God or has its origin in God, but the point is really what Paul's talking about here is whose righteousness? The answer is not Jesus. Whose righteousness? One more time. Yes, ours. Here, we're, he's talking about our righteousness that is going to then come before God or has been gotten from God. Okay? I, I see a bunch of you are confused. Yes. For in the gospel, 
Dikaiosune Theu is being revealed from faith to faith. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is being revealed. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. In the gospel, God's righteousness is being revealed. Trying to figure out what we mean by a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God, God's righteousness. Dikaiosune Theu. This is our phrase of the day that we're working on. All right? So, yep. This is about our righteousness. Exactly. So here we're talking about our righteousness. Uh, or maybe what we're looking at is God's righteousness. So another way we could look at this, right? And maybe this would be a possessive genitive. We're looking at God's own righteousness. God's own righteousness. And this might be um, a, a righteousness that, uh, that is, is um, God's own righteousness. Or the other way we could look at this, if we're not looking at God's own righteousness, is, uh, and this verse would be a possessive genitive. The second is a subjective genitive. Uh, this would be a righteousness that God demonstrates. So here we'd be looking at a righteousness that God has. And here we'd be looking at a righteousness that God does. Okay? Are we confused yet? No. No. On the top we're talking about God's righteousness. The bottom would be looking at our righteousness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm saying these are different ways you could read this verse. All right? So if we look at this as God's righteousness, if it's a righteousness that God has, uh, again, a couple ways you could look at this. One way, which is the way, and this kind of messed Martin Luther up because this is the way he learned that this uh, should be understood. Maybe this is God's righteousness that he has in terms of his distributive justice that he kind of makes good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, except that that doesn't really happen, which is one of the things that messed Luther up. Or maybe it has to do with God's covenant faithfulness. Maybe it has to do with God's covenant faithfulness, God's faithfulness to the promises that he makes, right? So here, maybe we're looking at what uh, God has or what he is this is his, his quality of faithfulness yes Merlene. Mm-hmm. yep gospel no the gospel no the it it refers to the gospel yeah in the gospel this is being revealed mary you had a question Not exactly, but maybe. We'll, we'll get to that. All right? Okay, let, let me, let's finish this out. Because I, I know some people are like, okay, I know there's got to be two options for this one, and I need to know what they are. So let me tell you what they are. No, I, I, know, I know some of you. Um, so if, if you're going to look at this as what is God's righteousness in terms of what he does, maybe that has to do with acts of covenant faithfulness. 
acts or deeds of covenant faithfulness. Not so much the quality as much as what he does. Or it might have to do with acts of power over the world. And leaving aside the whole messy little covenant thing with the Jewish people, it really more has to do with the fact that God is able to demonstrate his righteousness when he has his way over his enemies generally. Right? There's a guy named Ernst Kaseman who's who is making that argument. Uh, but either way, here we're talking about God's own righteousness, whether it's subjective, God's righteousness, righteousness that God does, God being the subject of the action, right? Or God's own righteousness, something that he has, it's a quality of his. We can understand it if something he does is acts of covenant faithfulness or just acts of his power generally. If we understand it as righteousness that he has, it could be uh, his distributive justice, probably not, or it could be his faithfulness, his faithfulness specifically to his promises, to his covenant. All right, we all having fun yet? Yes, ma'am. This is what keeps New Testament scholars in business. Because <laughs> it's not flagged. It doesn't, it, Paul doesn't say, you know, righteousness from God. And by the way, what I'm talking about here specifically, using the subject of genitive, is the acts of covenant faithfulness that God uh, demonstrates. He doesn't do that. He just says to Caius and Ethel, we have to figure that out. I'll give you one, one more. Is this confusing enough yet? We having fun yet? One more, one more wrinkle. No. No, no, no. That, we'll, we'll get to that. Not today. Uh, one more wrinkle here is that that word righteousness, and I, guys, I don't need the clip, but I probably do need the clock. Uh, that word righteousness can also be translated as something else. Anybody know what else we can translate the word righteousness as? Awesome. Okay. You could translate it as awesomeness, yes, but I had something more specifically in, more specific in mind. Justice. See, English is the bastard child of basically French and German, not to put too fine a point on it. And the thing with English, oh, and somebody mixed up the caps on my pink and red markers. I cannot have that. Is that maybe the guys who stole my base also messed the caps up? So uh, in French, which derives from French, which comes from Latin, we get justitia, which means, which then we get as justice, right? Justitia in the, in the Latin uh, ends up as justice in English, right? Um, and then there's some Anglo-Saxon word that I don't know how to spell that leads to what we know as righteousness, something like rigot something, I, I can't pronounce it, or spell it, or write it, but it's there, really. So just, you know, imagine somebody in later hose in here. Uh, 
uh, justice, righteousness, both are ways that we can translate dikaiosune. Because that Greek word kind of encompasses both. One of the fun things about speaking the English language is we get words from the different backgrounds, some from the Latin side, some from the Anglo-Saxon side, and our language ended up hanging on to both of them sometimes. <clears throat> and they have meanings that, of course, we think of in different ways, right? Different, far different connotations between justice and righteousness, right? When you think of somebody who is, who is doing acts of righteousness and somebody who's doing acts of justice, well, those have kind of different shades, right? You say, I want justice or I want righteousness. Think about what that might look like. But the Greek word dikaiosune, kind of like the Hebrew tzedakah, means same thing. Basically, it can mean either. Or it can mean both. We haven't found yet? Yes, Chris. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving that as an exercise for you to do at home. If you want to take this and try to work it out, how would this be if we translated it God's justice? So is this God's own justice in terms of his just faithfulness, I guess, his own quality of being just and always dealing justly? Or is this in terms of the justice that God does? Right? Or is this our justice? Or somehow we, do we have justice? Are we justified? Maybe you may have heard that we are, because we are. We are justified. Now, is that a justification that makes us just before God? Or is that a justification that God gives us? Isn't this great? So, here's why I throw all this up there. What? There is a point to this. This isn't just playing with grammar for the sake of playing with grammar. Much as I'm sure you all got up this morning saying, hey, I hope we get to mess around with the genitive case today. Here's the point. The point is, when we read Romans, when we read any scripture, but especially when we read Romans and we come to these phrases or these words that are so important to Paul's argument, we have to understand that the way we read those is going to make a huge difference in terms of what we understand Paul to be doing in this letter. Right? So if Paul gets up in the morning, as Luther thought he did, and asks, how can I find a gracious God? Then we're going to be probably talking about which one? The one on the bottom. Our righteousness. How is it that I get to be righteous before God? Or how is it that I get to get a righteousness that God has that I need? Right? Yes, Rick? Well, that's the question. We'll get there in chapter 4. You'll be around, I hope. Yeah. What? A couple months, yeah. No, we got it coming up. I just I even just worked out all the sermon titles. Yeah, so we're, at least I'm planning to preach on it. Uh, so that's, that's one possibility. Or what if, God, what if Paul got up in the morning thinking about how can we understand God to be faithful to his covenant when, for example... His people are still in exile and under occupation, right? How, 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 do I, how do I understand God as being righteous 
Or how do I understand God is being just when there's so much injustice in the world? When so much, when good things do happen to bad people and bad things do happen to good people. Right? I mean, if there's perfect justice, the Steelers would never win a game. <laughs> nevertheless, Amen. nevertheless, they do. So, as we go through Romans, here's what I want to promise you. Number one, I'm not going to try to make simple something that's not. Right? So, as we have here, when something is a little complicated, what I want is for us to deal with the word as it is, not as we might like it to be. I'm not going to sort of shine this up put it in a nice little package and kind of send it off because that's not what it's like, right? And if that's not what it's like, then that's not how I want to bring it. I really want for us when there is complexity, when there's ambiguity, when we need to do some wrestling, I want us to do that, right? And if you weren't into that, you probably wouldn't still be here. Uh, The other thing I, I want to say about that is that what this could mean for some of us is ways of understanding not just this verse, not just this letter, but our ways of understanding the whole gospel, our ways of understanding God, could be threatened by this process. I mean, if you've kind of always gone through life thinking that this, you know, what Paul really was talking about here was his distributive justice, well, I mean, you may have the same kind of experience Luther did where you finally come to a breaking point. You say, that, that, that can't be it. And if that's not it, then what is it, right? Or maybe you have gone through life thinking this is what Paul really wants to make clear is that we get a Jesus mask. And once you get your Jesus mask, you're good. You get to pass as Jesus. Well, maybe he is saying that, but, but maybe he's saying something else. So what I want to encourage you to do as you read these verses. And one of the reasons we're going as slowly as we are is so that you can go through the work yourselves. And it is work of, you know, saying, well, you know, maybe I put this whole car together wrong. Maybe I need to pull over and disassemble it and see if there's another way that this engine goes together. It's kind of hard to do while you're driving down the beltway. So maybe what would happen? Let's just say, what would happen if I went back? And I read this verse as God's own righteousness. Now, what would happen if every time I saw in Romans the righteousness of God or a righteousness from God, what would happen if I cross that out? And a lot of people don't like doing that in the Bible. So you just, you know, you can go to gospel, it's at biblegateway.com and you can print it off and then you can monkey with it in, in your word processor. What would happen if I changed that word to God's own righteousness? And if I read it as his righteous qualities, how, how would I understand that verse? Or what if I read it as God's righteous deeds? How does that change the way I understand this passage? Right? I encourage you to do this. And I do so knowing from intimate personal experience that it's a disorienting process and it's a little frightening and um, you can go through time, a, a time of where you really feel like you're wandering. 
But I think God sometimes brings us through these times so that he can give us a more secure, more confident place to stand, as well as an appreciation of some ambiguity and some difficulty. If you're not ready for this, like, you know, maybe with all the stuff you have going on in your life right now, now is not the time for you to, you know, unplug your current understandings of, uh, of Pauline soteriology. It's okay, too. <coughs> because the other thing I want to say about this is the more I look at this stuff, the more I believe that what is at issue is a question of emphasis. That is to say, apart from some of the more wacky readings, if you read this, Dekayasune Theu, as being about God's own righteousness that is manifested in his own covenant faithfulness, or maybe in his deeds of covenant faithfulness. And the way Tom Wright comes out is he says, you know, really, there's sort of an artificial grammatical line there. We really should look at it as God's qualities of faithfulness and his deeds of faithfulness is kind of all, all part of the same package. If what Paul is interested in talking about is God's own covenant faithfulness, what that still means for us is that we have God's righteousness somehow available to us. And, and you know, whether it's a mask or whether it's a quality that is being developed in us, it's still does the job that it needs to do. Whether, whether this is, whether Paul's really interested in talking about this righteousness that we're able to bring to God or the righteousness God provides to us, that still fits with the idea of covenant faithfulness, right? So if, if what Paul's really talking about is this, then you get this stuff with it. And conversely, I think if, if the reformers are right and what Paul is really interested in talking about is how we get righteousness, that avails before God, that maybe that God gave us, that still does a pretty good job of demonstrating God's own faithfulness and justice, doesn't it? Right? So as important as it is, it's not important in terms of where it finally cashes out, again, unless you're trying to get tenure as a New Testament professor. Uh, But at the same time, exploring the different ways that this could be read gives us different pictures of what Paul is trying to do in the letter, right? And and those pictures can get more or less radically different. And if you think this is fun, just wait a couple months, and we're going to talk about faith and faithfulness, which I didn't even touch because we're going to get the same kind of thing going on. But like, like if this is uh, derivatives, the other is integrals. I mean, it, it, it really is. This is all sorts of fun. Uh, but... I, 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 as a pastor, I just I want to make sure that I'm saying I recognize if you do this, this may be difficult. You can feel free to hate me about it. Uh, and I also recognize that this may not be the time. At the end of the day, if you ask Paul, well, are you saying that God is faithful? He'd say, yeah. So are you saying we have righteousness? He'd say, yeah. All right? All right. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we are grateful for the fruits of human creativity. We're grateful for the languages you've provided us to speak and write in. And we're grateful for the fact that quite often, even though we don't like it, 